was a Christian. The kids I played with in my neighborhood, my fellow students in my public school, it was just assumed that we all had the same basic beliefs about God and Jesus, heaven and hell, sin and salvation. After all, we were living in the Bible Belt where most people went to church. Now, truth be told, it is possible that there were children with different beliefs in my classes, but at least in my elementary school, I honestly cannot remember encountering one person with different beliefs. Granted, once I went into junior high school, in high school there were enough exceptions to prove the rule. But as a child, when the preacher at my church would talk about the need to share your faith in Jesus with others, I thought to myself, I don't know anybody who doesn't know Jesus. Now things have changed a lot in the past several decades. And I, but even with those changes, moving here from Kentucky, I have to admit, there was a little bit of culture shock because um, Ottawa is a much more secular and multicultural place than where I come from. Some of you have shared with me that when your children identify as Christians in their public schools, they're often in the minority. Their classmates have no idea what Christmas or Easter is about or even what the cross stands for. So neither we nor our children can claim we don't know anyone who isn't a Christian. If that truly is the case, we need to get out more and talk to our neighbors. And so that is what we find Jesus doing. We find him out, um, out there talking to people when we encounter him in the ninth chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Jesus was going to the cities and villages, teaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing their diseases. When he saw the crowds, he did not despise them for their lack of faith or sinfulness, but rather he had compassion on them because he saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The very fact that they were lost and confused caused him to care for them more, not less. Where his disciples may have seen overwhelming crowds of sinful people with problems, Jesus saw men and women, boys and girls, who he wanted to see invited into God's kingdom. So today I want us to consider what this passage from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, tells us about Jesus' heart of compassion, as well as the power and urgency of the good news. So again, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I don't know about you, but when I see a very large group of people, compassion is not my gut reaction. Now, if it's a large crowd of people gathered to worship in the church, that's wonderful. But if it's a large group of people 
elsewhere who are in need and they're looking to me to help them, I'm likely to feel overwhelmed, afraid, and concerned about my inability to meet their needs. When Jesus encountered the crowds, though, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. God had given him all power and authority. So Jesus did not need to be afraid because he was fully depending on God's power in him. Freed from fear, Jesus was able to see the crowd as his Father in heaven saw them, as men and women made in God's image, desperate for salvation and reconciliation with the Father. Yes, they were in need, and Jesus was exactly who they needed. So what about us? If the people we encounter need Jesus, what do we have to offer them? Consider Jesus' words to his disciples in our reading today from the first chapter of Acts. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus told his disciples that they would be able to do the same things he did and even greater things when they received the Holy Spirit. When we are baptized believers, we have received the Holy Spirit. This means we have been given the power and authority to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We've also been given new hearts, hearts of flesh, to replace hearts of stone, so that the Lord may love people through us, even people we may not particularly like. On a number of occasions, I've experienced the Lord speaking words of compassion to someone through me, and even loving people in ways that I know did not originate from me. But how can we have love and compassion on those whom we are naturally inclined to fear or to judge or reject? Well, we can admit the coldness of our stony hearts and ask the Lord to change our hearts so that we can love with his love, not our own. We can also admit that we're actually not that different from the people we have difficulty loving. In his book, The Insanity of God, Nick Ripkin reflects on an experience he had while serving as an American aid worker in Somalia. Nick came to know four Somali men who had become Christian believers in a place where even being suspected of practicing Christianity would likely bring violence and death. Nick was invited to take part in a private and secret communion service with these men in an abandoned, shelled-out building in Mogadishu. Not long afterwards, he learned that Islamic terrorists had killed those four Somali men, some of the only known Christians 
in Mogadishu at that time. This is what Ripken writes. The day after the assassinations, I walked through the streets of Mogadishu, of our Mogadishu neighborhood, with armed guards trailing along in my wake. Everywhere I looked, I saw destruction and suffering. As I thought about my murdered friends, I suddenly became so angry at the evil that I cried out to God like an Old Testament prophet wanting to call down destruction on high. Why don't you just destroy these people, Lord, I demanded to know. They have already killed almost all of your children in this country. Not one of these people deserves your salvation or your grace. The Spirit of God spoke to my heart in that instant. Neither do you, Nick. You were no less lost than they were. But, my grace, but by my grace, you were born in an environment where you could hear, understand, and believe. These people have not had that opportunity. God reminded me of a truth from Scripture. Even while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Then another thought came to my mind. And Christ died not only for you, Nick, but for every Somali in the Horn of Africa. For a long time, I had known that I was not worthy of Christ's sacrifice. I understood that. I knew that my salvation was a result of God's grace. I knew all that intellectually. But suddenly, I understood at a deeper level. I saw my own sin more clearly. I saw my own evil heart, and I realized that without Jesus, there is simply no hope for anyone. In Somaliland, it was easy to put people into categories, good, bad, evil, godly, selfish, giving, ungrateful, kind, hateful. We attached the labels almost automatically, but here in this moment, I saw the lost condition of every human being without the grace of Christ. Now, whether or not we can relate to the extreme circumstances that Nick Ripkin found himself in, can we just admit how easy it is for us to judge whether other people are worthy of kindness and compassion? How often do we write someone off as too strange, too sinful, too obnoxious to ever receive the love of Christ? What if instead of labeling them, we considered the fact that every single one of us is lost without the saving grace of Jesus Christ? And when we were strange, sinful, and obnoxious, someone loved us enough to share the good news of Jesus Christ with us. As one Christian leader has put it, I'm just a beggar showing other beggars where to find bread. After Matthew describes Jesus's compassion, he then tells about one of the few times that Jesus shares a prayer request with his disciples. He tells them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest 
to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus wants his disciples to pray for the Lord to send out laborers into his harvest. What does he mean? Well, first off, the Lord does not need us to do anything in order for him to accomplish his purposes. After all, he is the creator of heaven and earth. However, the Lord has chosen to include us in his plans. He does not desire us simply to be fans in the stands cheering as the work of the kingdom takes place, although sometimes that is our role. But the Lord also invites us to take part in his kingdom, both by prayer and by action. In his wisdom, he asks his disciples to pray that the Lord will send out laborers into his harvest. Why does he do this? First, because there is a real need. Jesus implies that there are many more people ready to enter the kingdom of God than there are people willing to invite and usher them in. And friends, I believe that's an undeniable fact. I can't speak for other places, but most Christians in the United States and Canada are not motivated to share their faith with others. We've been tricked into believing that religion is a private matter, a taboo subject, and that discussing our faith is at best tacky and at worst offensive and a hate crime. Now, let me be clear. It is possible to talk about our faith in ways that drive people away rather than invite people in. We're called to speak the truth in love not to speak the truth without love. We must be wise and led by the Holy Spirit, but we are, as Bishop Charlie Masters likes to say, called to open our mouths and to speak the name of Jesus. In addition to there being a real need for laborers, the disciples are asked to pray for more laborers because doing so changes their own hearts. If I am praying for more people to come and do the work of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, then my desire to see people come to faith in Jesus will grow, along with my belief that it is actually going to happen. I will become more invested in that work myself and will increasingly see it as a top priority. So if you've been tuning me out all morning, I just want you to hear this. Just hear this one thing, okay? Start praying on a daily basis that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into his harvest. I dare you to pray it. See what happens to you and your heart over time. You may have always feared sharing your faith with others, but pray that the Lord send out laborers out into his harvest and see if your desire for others to know Jesus doesn't begin to overwhelm your fear. It's a powerful prayer. Jesus, of course, doesn't only desire his followers to pray, but also to take action. How do we know that? Well, in the passage immediately following this one, Jesus gathers his 12 disciples together. He gives them power 
to heal sickness and drive out demons before sending them out. He gives them the power and authority to perform signs and wonders so that people will put their faith in him. Likewise, the Holy Spirit has given us power and authority to pray for the sick and oppressed and to share the good news of Jesus with them. We don't even need to be able to speak to large crowds to do this. We can share our faith in one-on-one -on -one settings, in small group situations, which can happen practically anywhere. We can offer to pray for someone. We can offer to study the Bible together, go to church together, or just share a personal testimony of what the Lord has been doing in our lives. These are all ordinary ways of sharing our faith that can take place at work, at school, at the pub, in the coffee shop, on the phone, over the internet, even over text. In China, where the government has sent many pastors and members of underground churches to prison, the church has grown rapidly in those prisons because the Christians they send to prison won't stop talking about Jesus to their fellow inmates. Wherever we are, we have good news to share and there are people dying to hear it. Right now, we live in the midst of so many crises, an opioid epidemic that is causing needless deaths from overdoses, alarming suicide rates, reports of people choosing medical assistance in dying out of loneliness and despair, and a growing sense of dis-ease that includes social isolation, panic, addiction, and hopelessness. I don't have to tell you this, you know this, because it affects all of us in one way or another, in our neighborhoods, in our families, our friends, our schools, and our homes. So what do we have to offer these people in our lives? We have an eternal hope a promise of abundant life through Jesus Christ. We worship a God who wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. The Son of God who suffered and died for our sake, who bore our wounds and transgressions on his own body so that we might be healed and reconciled to God. We know that not all is lost because Jesus Christ is with us and he is for us. And let me remind you, he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He has conquered evil and death and he has vanquished the author of lies. And he knows each one of us by name. And because of him, those who trust in him have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And there is nothing the evil in this world can do to change that. That is good news. That is worth sharing with our neighbors. So friends, again, let us ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
and may many, many people enter the kingdom of God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.